Welcome to Legal News and Review, recipient of the Florida Bar Award of Excellence. Legal News and Review, the only real problem solver radio program using the law. With your moderator, Philip Bell, and hosts and legal panel attorney, Gary Singer, chair of the Broward County Bar Association's Real Property Section. Gary Singer is board certified in real estate law and a syndicated columnist from the Sun Sentinel. He is an expert in his field of practice. Now, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. On the docket for today's broadcast, Wisconsin passed the first comprehensive workers' compensation law in 1911, while Mississippi was the last state to jump on board in 1948. These early laws were required employers to provide medical and wage replacement benefits for injured workers. And that has not changed in 2018. But there have been changes in how the process of the law works, such as attorney fees uh, for those that are representing the employees. We're very pleased to have from Kelly Cronenberg, Joshua T. Higgins, who is a partner of the firm. Josh focuses his practice on workers' compensation, representing a variety of employers, and is the go-to guy also for construction workers' compensation. I'd like to introduce the legal panel for today's discussion. First of all, Linda Alley, welcome. Hi. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you. And, of course, Gary Singer, uh, attorney extraordinaire. How are you? Phil, what is there to say that hasn't been said? (laughs) That's true, or what the courts have said about you. (laughs) Also, I want to remind our listeners they can actually watch the production of today's recording. All you need to do is go to Facebook and Google Uh, Legal News and Review. You just Google Facebook and Legal News and Review, and we come right up. Um, And you get to see past programs as well. And I thank you for those emails. Please do keep them coming. And regarding our other listeners locally on 96.9, 103.9, and 7.40 a.m., I'd like to say welcome and tune in. Stay tuned. We are recording live at the Kelly Ustall Building in their mock courtroom. You know, attorneys all over the country refer cases to Kelly Ustall because not only their resources, but their successes. And when they do that, your fight becomes their fight. Listen, if you've been injured or your loved one has been severely injured because of the negligence of someone else, you may be eligible for compensation. Please just go to justiceforall.com or you can call at 954-522-6601. From the law firm of Kelly Cronenberg is Joshua Higgins, who is a partner of the firm. Josh, good afternoon, and welcome to Legal News and Review. Thank you very much. Good afternoon to you. You know, this is a, a, an interesting practice that you have. Josh, as I stated at the opening, there, there's been changes in how the process of the law works, such as attorney fees. For example, Josh, please explain to our listeners the case of Castellanos versus Next Door Company. Sure. So the the Castellanos case was the most important case that's come out in the past few years um, for workers' compensation. Essentially, it dealt with attorney's fees or an attorney fee issue, went to Florida Supreme Court, and in April of 2016, it came back. And essentially, what it it holds is that attorneys can now petition the um, administrative judge, judge of compensation claims, to get an hourly rate for their wages, for their, their fees. Before that, it was actually a statutory amount that they would get, and the Castellanos case dealt with a, a situation in which the attorney on um, the claimant side, very good attorney, he litigated the case all the way to trial as a mutual combat situation, and he prevailed. 
but he didn't get a lot of benefits for his client because the medical care is very minimal. But he spent a lot of time getting to that point in time and prevailing at trial. So the Florida Supreme Court looked at the issue and decided ultimately that attorney's fees should be based upon an hourly um, rate. Uh, you have to petition for it. So well, what, what kind of fees were we talking about? Uh, it was substantial. It was just a few dollars or it was a very small amount per hour that he was getting for all the hours that he put in. Right. Um, which Under the old way, you mean. Right. And it, it was the perfect case to bring to the Supreme Court for that issue. And, you know, since then, it, it's changed quite a bit in terms of how cases are approached um, just based upon that case. There's a holding pattern for a very long period of time prior to that case being ruled upon because all the attorneys knew that it was it was out there and they're waiting for that ruling to come back before settling any cases. Okay, look, can we admit, this is Gary, I want to rewind a little bit because okay. I always find this whole workers' comp thing very confusing. So you typically work for the injured employee or the employer? The employer carrier, so... The, the carrier. Exactly. Okay, so the insurance company. Yes, so, or it could be a self-insured employer, but yeah, essentially okay. that's no, it. I got you. It's, uh, so in the, my limited experience with workers' comp, not in the law but in real life, that I found them to be, I, I dealt with them as an employer, actually, as an employee, but I found them to be incredibly responsive. So why would they typically get sued? Because they didn't do their job right? Like they didn't cover the injury? Sure. So in theory... Workers' compensation in Florida is meant to be a self-executing right. system. Mm -hmm. and that's, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, right. Thanks. So I mean, what that really means is that the insurance company should be handling the medical and indemnity benefits without the intervention of attorneys. That's what's supposed to happen. But if the, um, the worker believes they're not getting the benefits they, they should get, whether it's medical benefits, indemnity benefits, what they do is they go get an attorney. And at that point in time, that's when I get involved and I'm brought but in. But like the, the I don't mean to interrupt, but the, so the insurance company says, no, you can't go back to the doctor, you're fine? Yeah, there's a variety of reasons they get attorneys, mm -hmm. but that's, that's one reason. Um, if the worker thinks that they should be getting more medical benefits. So a, a perfect example would be if the worker goes to a doctor and the doctor says you have a pre-existing condition. So the major contributing cause, 51% or greater, of your current condition is due to your pre-existing issue, oh, okay. then maybe me medical benefits will end. And at that point in time, the attorney could, or the the worker could go get an attorney and try to litigate the issue to prove that that's not a correct medical opinion. The same thing applies to wages. So most of these have to do with people who don't have independent health insurance. Then it it doesn't matter the the. Independent but I'm saying in real life. Right. So this this is actually this takes the place of that. Yeah. So that's if the, right. they they say no, let's say it's the Hartford. I know. I think that's who we use at work. Says no, you're 51 percent. Then Humana, that's who we use, kicks in and picks up the doctor's visit. But if they don't have the Humana, then they might sue. That's a good example, actually. Okay. Because if if the workers' compensation doctor or doctor they go to under workers' compensation makes that opinion or, and says it's your pre-existing issue. The worker essentially has two things that could happen. They could go and treat under their own private insurance, or if they don't have insurance, what are they left to do? They get an attorney a lot of times to try to litigate that issue and, and make it seem like the doctor may, maybe gave an incorrect opinion, which does happen. Gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Thank you. You can, uh, I understand you can switch doctors uh, only once? That is correct. The It's a one-time change, and you can switch doctors one time in, in the case, just like it sounds like, and you s go into the same specialty. So orthopedic surgeon, you go to a new orthopedic surgeon.
So basically, you, you, you handle insurance issues uh, when it comes to workers' comp. And you've seen uh, some interesting cases. And unfortunately, we're known as the fraud capital of the country. And I'm assuming you've had those as well. Absolutely. Um, have quite a few of those. Last year, I had more fraud cases than any other year that I've been practicing. Wow. I can't say why. Right. I mean, there, I have no idea why. But, you know, fraud and, and workers' compensation, it's pretty broad. It's one of the rules that really is in the favor of the employer carrier. And that there doesn't have to be an, an assertive or act by the, the worker. It could be an omission. They could simply forget to tell you something at a deposition. And that could be enough to, to potentially prove fraud. And the reason it's so important for workers' comp is, you know, if fraud is shown and the judge believes that fraud is shown and mm -hmm. makes that determination, all benefits are cut off for life. Um, and I, I went to trial on that issue back in March on, you know, a case had been around for, for 10 years. 10 years? Been around for 10 years. Wow. And it, it was a, a very sad case, uh, objectively so. 22-year-old that um, became a quadriplegic and was getting benefits for, for 10 years. Was this a construction worker? It was, yes. And you know, he essentially fell off of, um, I don't know if it was a backhoe, it was some sort of heavy machinery and, and laying down his neck. So it was, it, it was sad. Sure. All benefits were, were being provided for years. And, you know, he ultimately wanted a, a new vehicle, and the vehicle was not um, provided to him because a, a rental is provided as opposed to buying a new vehicle ah. in the meantime. But he had indicated he can't drive. Now, this was an incomplete quadriplegic, so he had some movement of his arms, and he, to his credit, learned to drive a vehicle uh, and had done so for years. So it was a case where, you know, he says, I, I need a new vehicle have no vehicle home that works. Um, I need it for you know, my, the benefit of, of my life, my happiness, right. also to potentially go to medical appointments. But lo and behold, we find out that he had a vehicle that he did not disclose, had had it for over a year, and he drives around in that vehicle all day long. Huh. Um, visits his wife's food truck you know, throughout the day. Right. And so workers' comp would buy someone a vehicle? Uh, yes, it would be considered a medically... Um, Essentially, it's a medically necessary benefit that could be provided. You know, the, it depends sometimes with those close calls, but that is provided. Just okay. like some other things you wouldn't necessarily expect would fall under it, that does fall under it. So can I interrupt here on that story? Sure. So he had a car, so you didn't buy him a car, but did you cut off all the rest of his benefits? No. He, all he of was his medical care and no, everything? No, no. Until a judge made a determination, nothing was cut off at all. His benefits were always provided. It was a case where he was determined to be permanently totally disabled for obvious reasons years ago. And so all benefits were continuing to be provided to him, doctor's visits and, and all of that. Um, his fraud was pretty substantial. It, it was a lot more than, than I'm saying because it was just multiple instances, not only at deposition, but in front of a judge at a hearing and um, the attorney that he had for, for over a deca decade withdrew from the case because of the extent of, of the fraud that he did not know about. Wow. Uh, and you know, proceed in front of a judge, and then the judge makes that determination. So no benefits are cut off until the uh, judicial determination of it. No, my question was after you found out that he had a car at home, I'm assuming you didn't pay for the new vehicle. 
But did you cut off the rest of his benefits as no. well at that point? No, no benefits were cut off. When were the benefits cut off? Only when the judge made the determination of fraud. When was that? That was in, in relation to the truck. So he filed for to ask for the new vehicle in, I believe, April or May of last year. And that li issue became you know, litigated over the course of a year, just through depositions and, and whatnot. And then we filed the motion for determination of fraud, which is what we have to do on, on our case it's, since it's an affirmative defense. Um, ultimately, the final hearing was in March of this year because workers' compensation is piecemeal. It's, it's done in a way where you litigate issues as opposed to the case in full. So in March, we proceeded um, to trial on, on the issue of whether he should get a new vehicle or not. And you know, th the affirmative defense to it was, was fraud. And then the judge made that determination that there was fraud because it, it was overwhelming evidence of it. All right. So he didn't get the vehicle. Correct. That's my, my next question is, you said all of his benefits were cut off. Correct. So, the, so the did he also lose doctor's appointments, benefits, and everything else? Everything I mean, he's still a quadriplegic, right? Yes. Everything going forward is cut off by statute. Okay. So by Because sta of the truck. Correct. Well, there was a lot more than just the truck. That did truck was one of the one of the issues, but there are more other things in addition to you, that. Did you litigate the other issues? In terms in of the other instances, single issue. You said it's a single issue way. The the single issue was whether he should get a new vehicle. Right. The the fraud was more than just lying about the truck. There's a lot of other things that he lied about, um, and that's what the judge essentially looked at. But the okay. statute mandates if the judge makes that determination of fraud that you're barred from receiving benefits forever in the future. And this okay. actually took 10 years to, to litigate? No, no, no. Oh. He, he, he received benefits for 10 years, um, everything from you know, you know, permanent total disability sure. benefits to new vehicles to, to doctor's appointments, is surgeries, um, a home that was modified for him. Is it a state court judge or a special court? It's an administrative law judge called the Judge of Compensation Claims, so it's administrative law court. And who do they work for? Um, they work for the state. And the, the judge we had on the case actually was a, um, a very, very well-respected uh, claimant's attorney. So he represented workers for many years. So it's they're appointed for a case or it's like a elected? Like ha, ha, I'm just curious, the mechanics, like they don't work for workers' appointed. comp, assuming. He, he gets, they get appointed by the state. For life, for a period of time? It's for a peer, period of time. And that becomes life. their full-time job? Yes. Or they're more like a magistrate? Uh, that becomes their full-time job, so okay. they don't handle cases anymore on their own. Well, I'm curious to know if I'm construction worker and I'm working hard. Yeah, I'm not saying it, Phil. It happens. A different career. Hey, it takes years to get in this shape, Gary. <laughs> I have a heart attack at the job site. Is that also uh, uh, covered by workers' comp or no? It potentially could be. Uh, it depends on whether, you know, the job led to the heart attack and it becomes a very kind of complex issue, as you can imagine. So, you know, I haven't seen that arise on any of the cases that I've had. Mm -hmm. Um I just don't, you don't really see it. You see it more frequently with first responders, police officers, and the like. And there's statutes in place for, for those workers, um, which is the heart-lung statute in Florida. And independent contractors are not covered by workers' comp. Is that still the case? That is correct. So uh, the, there's a statute specifically that excludes independent contractors as long as several factors are met to make them be deemed an independent contractor. 
mm-hmm. but something that I run into all the time with construction cases. Well, before you go there, let me just do a quick follow-up because I don't want to lose the thread. Is it, like we've discussed on here when we speak with employment lawyers that, you know, you have to really be an independent contractor to be an independent contractor. You can't just call. Is that the same thing for workers' comp? Absolutely. It's so if you're, they're paying them cash, you know, but they really work for just that firm, they'll get their workers' comp. But coverage? Sure. So what you see with, you know, the cash payments, which is prevalent down here, unfortunately, is, you know, if a contractor hires a company and then that company does not have insurance or pays their workers in cash, what could happen is a contractor that hired the subcontractor mm-hmm. will be on the hook for workers' compensation for those workers that were injured because they have to essentially make sure all workers on job site can get workers' compensation benefits. Gotcha. So you also want to make sure your contractor has workers' comp for that. So you as a homeowner don't get nailed. Right. If you're you're hiring a a subcontractor, you you need to make sure that they have uh, insurance. You know, as Gary said, we're going to have to take a break. And this is a dynamic practice you have. I mean, you you are the go-to guy, especially when it comes to construction issues uh, of workers' comp. Is that correct? It is. I, I, I'm definitely uh, in, very involved in the construction industry and with, with the employers. I, the, the insurance companies hire me, but my relationships oftentimes are with the companies themselves. Well, that makes sense. Well, when we come back, we want to know what are the potential penalties for an uninsured employer? And would that also include uh, spending time in county jail? You're listening to Legal News and Review, and we're speaking with Josh Higgins, and we're going to be coming right back. And again, what are the potential penalties for an uninsured employer? Do you need an attorney? Call someone you can trust. The Broward County Bar Association, a not-for-profit organization, was founded in 1925 to foster courtesy, ethics, and professionalism, as well as to provide necessary legal services throughout South Florida. The Broward County Bar Association, 3,000 members strong, has attorney members that work throughout the entire state of Florida, as well as nationally and internationally. Remember, the Broward County Bar Association is a referral you can count on. Call the Broward County Bar Association at 954-767. 8310 for all your legal needs. A referral you can count on. 954-764-8310 or contact online at BrowardBar.org. Non-lawyer spokesperson. Welcome back to Legal News and Review. Recipient of the Award of Excellence from the Florida Bar. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go online to BeLegalBuzz.com. Once again, here's your moderator, Philip Bell. Legal News and Review is back on the air, and we're discussing workers' comp, and I left with a question. What are the potential penalties for an uninsured employer? First of all, is it, is it considered criminal act if they don't have uh, coverage? Typically, it more involves fines more than anything else. In, a, in terms of criminal penalties, you see that most frequently with issues in which companies do have insurance, but they underreport their payroll to their insurance companies mm-hmm. to get a lower premium. When I was a prosecutor, I had a few of those cases actually in terms of the workers' compensation fraud cases. And and I've had some actually that have uh, led to criminal um, uh, issues for cases I've had where it's been in, in companies that essentially have underreported by sometimes millions of dollars their payroll. 
And those are the cases that typically are prosecuted. But mm -hmm. small mom and pop companies or instances in which there's not a, a tremendous loss for the insurance company, you don't typically see those prosecuted as much. Is ignorance of the law a defense? It definitely is not. You okay. Presume <laughs> to know what the law you didn't know is. You should know. You yeah. should do. Prior to joining your firm, Joshua, you worked as an assistant state attorney um, at the state attorney's office, 17th Judicial Circuit Court, in both felony trial units and, and um, county court division. And you've had over 30 bench trials and 22 uh, jury trials as well. Seems like a, a great proving ground. In my opinion, it's probably the best place that any attorney could start off. Start off. Not everyone's interested in criminal law, but... Um, for my money, you get the best experience there before you move on to another career or stay there because you're never going to get that trial experience um, anywhere else so so early in your career. And you also um, ended up working for a period of time for the Coast to Coast Legal Aid of South Florida. I did, yes. Doing, uh, I guess, foreclosure defense, Gary. <laughs> no, coast to coast. I've and uh, and uh, indigent and elderly citizens. Absolutely. Yeah, that was through the uh, Florida Bar Foundation. I, I was a fellow, and that's where I went to work, and it, it was a great experience, um, for sure. Sad, but it was a good experience. Um, are volunteers covered under workers' comp? They are not. The, the statutes specifically say they are not unless they meet one of a, a very narrow criteria, which is essentially volunteers for um, the state or municipality or county. That's where you see it, but other than that, you don't you don't see it often, and I, I basically see no cases litigated with that issue. Uh, Part-timers, interns? Still falls within the same thing, and you, they look to see whether they're paid or unpaid and, and whether they can be deemed an employee ultimately under a statute. Gotcha. Because you represent the, uh, the employers, um, and I've heard this many times, but try to explain to me or, or to our audience, what is serious and willful misconduct? Okay, so that'll be under OSHA. So serious and, and willful misconduct, you know, it really depends. There's some, some things that OSHA will look at in terms of, is this a company that they went out to, um, uh, to do an inspection on before and said that they needed to, to change things or maybe gave them a warning? And did they change things? So that potentially could be a situation in which there's either a repeat, they're considered a repeat offender, where the, the fines are higher, or it could be a situation in which they're deemed to be willful because they they had that knowledge of what needed to be changed. Does uh, the workers' comp insurers ever go back against the employer? They do. What, what you see with it is, you know, sometimes there can be a great disagreement in terms of how a case is handled. And I see quite a few times where the employer just isn't giving the information to the insurance carrier and the insurance carrier is put at a great disadvantage, as is the attorney, because we're not getting the response from the employer or they're not giving us the documents we want, and that causes great problems. What but if the employer is, like, negligent? Um, in terms of negligence, it doesn't really matter for, for workers' compensation because it's no fault in terms of oh, okay. uh, whether workers' compensation applies. A worker could do the dumbest thing imaginable, but ultimately they still would be covered on a workers' comp. And maybe Linda knows uh, if you don't, but can they do both? Can they, like, sue their employer for negligence and still collect under workers' comp? That's actually a great question. Thank um, you. I try. <laughs> I'm not, not trying to flatter you, but <laughs> that, that's a great question, and, and I get that question a lot, especially mm -hmm. in the construction industry. So in construction industry, actually in workers' compensation in general, what you have is a situation where there's election of remedies, just like some other areas of law.
So the injured worker has to file under workers' compensation for a work accident or injuries that arise at work. And if they want to go under the, um, into circuit court for a civil action to pierce the veil, so to speak, it's very difficult to, to show the willful conduct that's necessary to do so. And to my knowledge, at this point, the Florida Supreme Court has not upheld the piercing of the veil in, in Florida. As you know, Florida has medical marijuana laws now, and other parts of the country have recreational. So um, if I have a, a, a mandate of a drug-free workplace and someone gets injured and it turns out that he had a prescription for medical marijuana, then is he not covered by workers' comp? There's still the presumption. So in, in Florida, with a drug-free workplace, assuming they, the, the company um, has a valid drug-free workplace, yeah. and then they're tested and it comes back with a, a, a drug or comes back with alcohol, um, there's a presumption that the employer carrier gets that they can allege, which is essentially that the work um, accident was occasioned primarily by uh, the impairment or intoxication of the substance, and then it shifts the burden. So then the claimant and the claimant's attorney can try to argue that in no way, shape, or form was this accident occasioned by this drug in the system. And you know, we haven't seen it a lot yet with medical marijuana. Right. We, we just got you know, a case in that involved that for, you know, recently, but we haven't seen it too much yet. What we're seeing more frequently than anything else, you know, is recreational marijuana and cocaine and those substances. But we also see things as seemingly innocuous as medication for migraines, which under a statute, some, some of that medication can, wow. be, um, you know, fall within this as one of those, I hate to use banned substances, but one of those one of the drugs that falls within the statute. Gary, uh, for your businesses, do you have a drug-free workplace? Huh? For your businesses, like Could your, you your think title you company. Could you work for me if you were sober? <laughs> hey, who hires you? Is it the insurance company or is it the employer? It depends. Um, you know, my firm handles cases for quite a few insurance carriers in Florida, so I have relationships with, with the adjusters and with the carriers. But a lot of my... Um, my work outside of the office in terms of marketing and business development is with the construction companies. So they can assign us as counsel. They can tell their insurance company, oh, okay. we want Josh Higgins or Kelly Cronenberg as our attorney. And since they're the ones paying you know, the premiums, they get assigned to us. And so if they wanted to reach out to you, how would they, you know, what's your number, your info for your firm? Typically, the best way to reach me is by, by email. I'm, I'm one of the attorneys that actually responds to my emails. Huh. Pretty, pretty promptly. Which How dare is, you make the rest of us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> right, which is um, you know, jhiggins at kellycronenberg.com. Joshua T. Higgins, partner at Kelly Cronenberg. I want to thank you very much. Linda thank you from Kelly Ustall, thank you for uh, participating. Phil, and most of all, thank our listeners. Be safe and be legal. You've been listening to the award-winning legal news and review, recognized by the Florida Bar's Award of Excellence. To contact the legal panel hosts and guests, go to BeLegalBuzz.com. And to reach Gary Singer, board-certified real estate and syndicated columnist, appearing in 400 media outlets, including the front page of the Money section every Monday in the Sun Sentinel, from the law firm of Gary M. Singer, PA, call 954-851-1448. For legal news and review, remember, be legal.